Welcome to Chatterax Etc. with your host, Dr. Deepak Raja. Who amongst us has never seen stars? This common phenomenon has probably affected most all of us at some point or another. It's been a comedy staple in cartoons for ages. Let's take Daffy Duck, for example. Now, you little butinsky, you! I'm going to take your hands off of me! I came here to see stars, and I ain't leaving until I see them. See? Well, for goodness sake, why didn't you tell me? I could show you all the stars. You could, chum, buddy, pal, brother, friend. You honest and truly could? Sure. Here. Oh, gee. Look at all the pretty stars. There's Hedy Lamar and Alexa Smith, and Dorothy L'Amour, and Baby Snooks, and Sovereign Suckatash. It's Anne Sheridan. So why do some people get these flashing lights? In order to understand that, we have to understand how ocular physiology works. When we see an image, that image is focused, the light rays are, onto the retina, and this sends off an electric signal to the brain for visual processing, and that's where you actually interpret it as an image and color and all of those things. Uh, it's no different than any other sensation. Same thing would go for smells or sounds. But in this case, it's going to the visual processing center. The jelly in the back of the eye, the thing that gives it some substance, is called the vitreous. And over time, that vitreous can tug and pull on the retina. When it does, it shoots off little electric signals that go to the brain, and you interpret this as pinpoint lights or shooting stars, or sometimes an arc of light if it's concentrated in just one area. So why does this jelly pull on the retina? We can see that, for instance, when people have trauma to the eye, if you're in a car accident, you're punched in the eye, you might see some flashing lights because the jelly is pulling forward acutely. People who are nearsighted, they start to have this problem a little bit earlier in life. I can speak as to this, as I've always been nearsighted. And we also see this in a lot of our older patients, 50, 60, 70 and up, where the vitreous undergoes a normal process where it starts to break down, become more watery, and as these watery pockets form in the normally gel-like vitreous, it starts to break down and, and peel off of the retina. In the process, it can shoot off pieces of protein that look like bugs, hairs, or amoebas. For the most part, these things are not visually significant, although they are extremely annoying. The floaters tend to go away over time as the brain gets sick of seeing them and starts to neuroadapt or filter out these floaters. The floaters may be more prominent when looking at a white background such as a cell phone screen or a computer screen, or if you're really bored and just staring at a white wall. Eventually, as the brain starts filtering it out, it becomes less and less noticeable. We customarily allow six months for patients to adapt to this. If not, then other measures can be considered to help remove the floaters for those rare instances where they are truly visually significant. I certainly recall a patient who worked in a lab once 
And every time they would look in the microscope, which had a bright white background, they couldn't differentiate between amoebas or floaters that were in their eye. Unfortunately, he was actually beginning to consider a career change. For that reason, I sent him to the retina specialist for further intervention. Our options for getting rid of floaters are few and far between, unfortunately. There is no magic eye drop to get rid of them, nor are there really any injections to eliminate the floaters. The options are either laser or surgery, what we call a pars plana vitrectomy, where we remove the jelly in the back of the eye. Because both of these procedures or surgeries are done in close proximity to the retina, there is an increased risk of retinal tear, detachment, or swelling of the central part of the retina. So they're not to be taken lightly, and we don't consider these options unless they are really causing a problem after the six months. Laser can be good for large floaters that are noticeable on the dilated exam. Oftentimes, when the vitreous peels away from the optic nerve, which is circular, it can leave a circular ring behind called a Weiss ring. I'm gonna float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. Sometimes this Weiss ring can break up and give kind of curvilinear looking shapes that the patient can actually draw. They may look like a question mark or an oval or a, even a figure eight. This can be lasered because it can be seen. If a patient has multiple small floaters that are really hard to see on exam, unfortunately, it's probably not a good idea to remove with laser because we would be firing indiscriminately. In these cases, vitrectomy is a much better option. Incisions are made into the eye, and this is done in a sterile OR, and the vitreous is removed and replaced with a water-like substance. Oftentimes, this addresses the problem permanently. For the most part, vitreous detachments are benign, albeit annoying. But as I explained before, as the vitreous is tugging on the retina, potentially even tenting it up a little bit, if you want to think of it that way, it has the threat of being able to pull so hard that it tears the retina. And if it does, it can leave a small hole in the retina behind. Fluid can then go through this hole, lift the retina off the eyeball wall, and essentially cause a retinal detachment. And this can be very vision-threatening. Typically, the signs of a retinal tear or detachment are a sudden increase in floaters, an increased frequency or duration of flashing lights, or a dark curtain or veil coming over the eye from the periphery. It doesn't so much come and go as it just, just keeps coming. This last sign is especially ominous for a retinal detachment. Thankfully, the majority of patients do not get retinal tears, but rather, eventually the vitreous lets go. The flashing lights stop because there's no longer any tugging on the retina, and the vitreous simply moves forward and is no longer a threat. The floaters may still remain until the neuroadaptation process completes, but overall there is no significant threat to the vision. Unfortunately, we can't tell who is going to have a vitreous detachment versus a retinal tear or detachment based on symptoms. When patients call, they often have a new onset floater that is extremely large or these new flashing lights which become very worrisome for them when they start doing a Google search. 
we tell patients to come in ASAP so we can do a dilated exam and make sure that the retina looks good. During this, we will do a scleral depression of the retina where an indentation with an instrument is done in the very periphery of the retina so we can make sure there aren't any tears way out in the periphery where it is admittedly difficult to find tears. We may even do some imaging of the macula to ensure that there aren't any areas of tugging or vitreomacular traction to the central part of the vision. Sometimes, even when the vision seems to be good on exam, there may be some subtle findings there. As long as a patient is not high risk, I usually bring patients back for two months for a repeat dilated exam. Hopefully their symptoms are much better by this point and there haven't been any small asymptomatic retinal tears that have occurred. If there are some tears, laser can be done around the tears to kind of tack it down in place. Kind of like a staple gun that's essentially making scars around the tears so that even if fluid goes in, it cannot go any further because the scars have essentially tacked down the retina and prevented any further spread of fluid. Retina is a funny thing. I used to be really interested in it once before I became an anterior segment surgeon, mainly based on the strength of the fact that my last name used to be Roger Retinum. My dad changed it a long time ago to make it a little bit easier to Raja, but I always liked the name. And as a tip of the hat to the, uh, the old name, I actually used the moniker Raja Retina for one of my emails for a long time. My dad is a GI doctor, and I often joke that he should have been Roger Rectum. He never really found that joke funny, but uh, I beg to differ. Well, that concludes our podcast, Starry Starry Night. See you next time.